Thank you, Peggy. I appreciate you bringing me as a guest. I would like to start by sharing who I am. I am uh, born in Alexandria, Egypt, to a Coptic Orthodox Christian family. Uh, we migrated to Canada when I was about seven years old uh, because my younger brother was born uh, with a mental handicap. Back then they called it mental retardation, but in Egypt, they did not know how to diagnose it. So my father brought us to Canada. We migrated here seeking for better, better medical help for him. Around 11, uh, my father decided to bring us back to Egypt just for a few years for us to understand our culture and our roots. So uh, in school, I was struggling with the Arabic language. We were in an English school, but there were some subjects um, taught in Arabic, like history and geography. So my father hired a tutor and uh, his name was Sam. He, um, he was a very handsome young man and I fell in love with him. And actually he fell in love with me too. And we started seeing each other. Um, even my father sent us back to Canada, we stayed in touch. Uh, and I would come and visit and see him when on my visits to Canada, uh, to Egypt, I'm sorry. And then around, I think I was around 20, uh, Sam asked for my hand from my father. That's how they did it in Egypt. And my father, even though he liked Sam a lot, he said, over my dead body. And he did that because Sam was not Christian. Sam was Muslim. And in Egypt, Christians don't marry Muslims. It's, it's, it's a huge thing. Um, so I knew that I couldn't break my father's heart and ruin his reputation. Also, he was a very well-known, accomplished uh, man in Egypt. And I had to move on with my life and knew that I couldn't marry Sam. After around 25 years, I came to California and eventually I married Paul, who I met. And I had two kids from Paul, Colleen and Andrew. But it didn't take long to, to find out that Paul was a narcissist, like the typical narcissist. Back then, we didn't really know what narcissists are. Like we didn't have the web, Google, internet, and you think you're all alone and it's you. A narcissist really ends up breaking you, breaking your spirit. You know, you're always wrong. Uh, the, the world centers around them. It, it's just your uh, viewers know by now what a narcissist is. I always say, if you look at the dictionary and look up narcissist, you'll look up, you'll see Paul's name right next to it. <laughs> typical. Um, but I struggled for 13 years. I was stuck in the marriage, um, mainly, not only that our church did not, you know, approve of divorces, especially back then in the 80s, uh, right? Yeah, 80s, 90s. But he threatened that if I left him, he would kill me. And he actually, one of the threats was in front of my family members. And he just, 
came out and said, I, I was joking one day and I said, I'm gonna, I can hire a divorce lawyer, something like that. And he said, well, I can hire a sniper. And we all looked at him and my cousin looked at him and said, Paul, what are you saying? And he goes, no, um, you know, if she ever leaves me, I will lose my mind and no judge will hold me accountable for what I will do to her. And it was like he believed it and he made me believe it. So it wasn't easy to just get out. But um, finally, I found a good lawyer who was able to get me a restraining order. And we got Paul out of the house and I filed the divorce and I kept the children. And I, we were happy. We were, I was content. Finally, I can be a mother to my kids. I don't have to deal with all the stress and just chaos in the house. And I wasn't thinking about remarrying. I became a born again Christian and I was just happy being a mother. And out of nowhere, I get this phone call, New Year's Day. And on the other side, it's Sam. Sam, the one the first love. <laughs> How the heck he found me? I don't know. He knew I lived in California. He dissected uh, LA or where I was, block by block, found my name and called me. Um, I We talked, it was great, but I had no intention to reconsider or open that door again. Like I said, I had just become a born again Christian and I would, wouldn't consider marrying a Muslim. Unfortunately, when I went to visit Asia, I went to visit my mom in Egypt. I met him thinking my heart is guarded. So it's okay, let me see him for good old time, you know? Um, my heart, the guards just fell apart. I, I, it was like as if there was no separation of about 25 years between us. Uh, he was the person I was looking for, the listener, the kindness, the all the features that I was looking for in a man, that it didn't matter anymore that he was Muslim and I was Christian. I kind of felt here I was married 13 years to a Christian Coptic Orthodox that went to church every Sunday, was just involved in the church, but treated me horrible. So marrying a Muslim at this time, I felt, you know what? It's the heart, it's, it's, I just gave up everything. Like I went against my family, I, gave, I went against the church, I went against everything, but I believed, I just, I was so vulnerable and I needed, uh, this companionship, especially Paul was a very cold man and I was a very emotional person. Um, Sam and I got married. The kids loved Sam. Um, he, we moved, we, he came to California, lived with me. I was the breadwinner. Uh, he had lived all his life in Egypt, did not have, he did not master the language to nail down a decent job. The best he could do is uh, get a job at a gas station. So I was the CFO making the money and I didn't mind. I didn't mind because he was taking care of the home. He was kind, he was gentle, taking care of the kids. 
And I actually was supporting his ex-wife who was living with his two daughters in Egypt. And I put them through medical school and dental school. I look back and I think, okay, how stupid. But at the time, it didn't, I didn't, I felt it was okay. It wasn't, it was okay. Um, I felt God blessed me with money at the time. I was working and I was in a good relationship. Over time, um, during that time, actually, uh, Paul, finding out that I had a, a Muslim husband, fought me in court. It was really bad custody battles, horrific. He used the kids as pawns. And at the end, I gave up. I, In order for, the, we, for us not to lose the kids, I settled with him. I told him, you want the kids? Okay, fine. You know, you can have them during the week. I'll take them on the weekend. I just needed to save the kids from the chaos we were living in. But over the years, uh, Colleen was struggling living with her dad and wanting to come and live with me. But her dad convinced her that she will, she can come and live with me if I'm no longer with uh, Sam. And it, it started like I knew he was manipulating me, but I started wanting, you know, trying to figure out: Do I stay in this beautiful marriage where all my needs are met? Or do I try to save my children? And if they can't handle Sam because their dad brainwashed them, maybe I sacrifice my good life to give them a good life. Um, so I was struggling with that. I actually told Sam the dilemma I was in. Sam felt betrayed. He felt like now you have your kids, you don't need me anymore. And he started feeling insecure. And during our marriage, Peggy, Sam, even though he was a Muslim, he never went to a mosque, okay? He would go with me to Calvary Church where he would read me the Bible the days I'm stressed. And, you know, he, that's our life. So he woke up one morning and that morning, for some reason, I felt the Lord telling me, whatever's going to happen today is not of me. Now, usually the Lord doesn't talk to me. and I don't get that. But I, I felt that's the message I got. And as we're having coffee, Sam says, uh, I'm going to Calvary today with you. It was a Saturday. And I'm going to take communion. And I looked at him and I go, oh, did you have a dream or something? Because usually Muslims do not take communion or do not accept Jesus unless they have usually hear about them having a dream about Jesus and they, you know, all of a sudden um, they convert, but it's not a logical thing. And I asked him, did you have a dream about Jesus? And he said, no, uh, I don't need a dream. I said, okay, but you never, you always pass the communion. Why would you want the communion today? And he said, why not? Don't uh, sinners and whores take communion? Why, sh why shouldn't I? And I looked at him and I said, well, well, Sam, please, you know, this is not something to mess with. It's not a matter of who's worthy, but you should not take communion if you don't believe in it, especially in our religion, like in the Coptic Orthodox, we were brought up believing if you take it and you're not worthy of it, or you take it in pride or something like that, 
um, it can harm you. Okay, it's, it's really, it can work against you. So I didn't want him to do that. And he wouldn't listen to me. And I was really on the alert and I was frightened and I didn't like what was happening. But I went with him to church to just watch and see maybe God will strike him good, you know, <laughs> and he will take the communion. And uh, But he, he sat there, crossed legs, the communion came, he took it, he ate it and just passed the plate along with a lot of pride and looking around just um, as if he just had a hamburger or something like no, no remorse, no trying to nothing. You know, when you see if you're the first time you take communion, usually tears come in your eyes. Um, so we went home and I realized this is really, uh, he, he drew the line. Like I didn't like how he, he messed with with the communion I, I i didn't like that at all he went to bed we went sleeping and i remember i couldn't sleep thinking about what had happened i was looking at him he had his back to me and i'm lying there looking at him and wondering is god gonna strike him to turn him into a monkey that's really what came to my mind it's like what's gonna happen to him i'm waiting for something to happen to him uh, because of what we were told. Um, but he starts turning around. And as he's turning around, Peggy, I see his face turn into a demonic face. It was something I never saw in my whole life. It was like, literally, uh, I think I saw it in that movie, the devil at the devil's advocate, when you see people, and then all of a sudden, you see them turn into demonic face. That's exactly what I saw. And right away, I felt the Lord say, child, turn around, be on, on this side. Don't, don't worry about him. And I spent that night, of course, not sleeping, wondering what the heck was that? Up to that point, I thought God was blessing the marriage, regardless whether he's Muslim or Christian, I felt he was blessing us. But at that night, I realized, no, something is wrong. This is not blessed. I need to get out. Uh, so um, I, I can't be sharing my bed with the demon. So I got on my knees and I prayed. And I prayed hard because I loved this man a lot. And I, it was not easy to get out. I, and I asked God to harden my heart. I wanted him to not break my, I wanted him to take him out of my life, but not break my heart. I begged him, don't break my heart, just take him out. Didn't know how. And I think God must have heard my cries because over the next few months, my heart was hardening. I was falling out of love with him in a weird way. This man, I was addicted to him since I was like 14 years old. I and I was falling out of love. And I think he started feeling that and he could tell the difference, the distance. And by early December, end of November, this was 2008, I was able to have a conversation with him. And I said, Sam, 
I want a divorce. I really think we should have a divorce. Um, he said, okay, he wasn't happy, but he wasn't fighting it. And we agreed to have uh, an amicable divorce where you go to court, you uh, apply for a divorce when there's no children, nor assets or alimony or anything, the court gives it to you in six months, as long as nobody disputes it. So we went to court, he agreed to come to court, we signed it, and he tried to get alimony. I told him if we try the alimony way, it, it's a different um, process. We cannot do this in six months. We would have to get a lawyer, but I will take care of you. I told him, I'll take care of you, don't worry. So he asked me if he can stay in the house for about three weeks until he finds a place to go to. And I agreed. I didn't want him to be out in the street. I still cared for him. I didn't love him, but I didn't want him out in the street. And I agreed on that. And I also agreed not to tell the kids until it's final, because I didn't want the kids to have this roller coaster. Uh, you know, not knowing what was happening. And Colleen had come and stayed with us. She was staying with us. He was good with her. She was she was happy with us, but I didn't want her to get involved in that. So that was in December. And throughout that month of December, I started feeling sick. And during that month, Colleen went to spend the Christmas holiday and that time with her dad. And I was every day getting sicker by the day. And my whole body was aching, but the worst part was my head. My head was aching to the point, like it felt like it was gonna explode. I couldn't, like, I remember uh, a blink, every time I blinked my eyes, the pain would just be there. And it was excruciating pain in my head, but I would sit on my couch and just sit, can't move. And um, I told him, I need to go see a doctor. Finally, he, he agrees to take me to urgent care. Urgent care didn't run any tests. They said, you probably have a head cold or the flu. Here, take this medication. And they sent me home. The medication of course didn't help much but what he started doing he started giving me his blood pressure medicine and I didn't have any blood pressure like I don't usually take that medication but somehow when I started taking his blood pressure medicine the pressure went down in my head whatever was causing my headache and I was able to sustain that pain like the pain mellowed down a little bit to the point that I was able to go to the office because during that time, I couldn't go to work. Again, it's December, CFO, it's year end. It's the hardest time for a company and I'm not there, but I was trying to go. So the I started going the first week of January and January 8th, I remember driving to the office, driving on the five freeway. And during my drive, in the morning, I get a vision. Now, Peggy, I never got a vision in my life. I, I didn't even believe in visions. I didn't understand them. 
so I never experienced them, but I got a vision of uh, like a funeral in my immediate household. And I could see somebody died, one of us, like, uh, and I thought it was me because I couldn't see myself, but I saw my two sisters. No, I didn't think it was me. I'm sorry. Let me take that back. I saw my two sisters. I saw one brother. I didn't see Steve, the youngest one, the one that's mentally handicapped. And I assumed it was a funeral about my brother who was living in Egypt at that time. And I felt this is a warning from God that something's going to happen to my brother and I need to go see him. And I went into the office. I spoke to the CEO and I told him my brother is sick. I need to go to Egypt. Even though it was a hard time for the company, but I had made a mistake. I can't remember, maybe uh, about a year earlier when my mother was sick and I needed to go see her, but I was taking care of a big project at the office and I couldn't take the time off or I wouldn't take the time off because I had to meet that deadline. But by the time I was ready to go see her, she had fallen into a coma and I never saw her. She never came out. So I didn't, that was the biggest regret in my life. So I didn't want to repeat the same thing. I said, I'm just going, I don't care. So the CEO said, fine, I uh, arranged to meet with my office, my subordinates to kind of uh, delegate I, uh, work until I come back. I called Sam and I told him, my brother is sick in Egypt. I'm gonna go there tomorrow or the day after. It was Friday, so I was gonna go Saturday or Sunday. I don't know yet, I haven't made up my mind. And he said, okay, um, I'll still be here when you come back. And I said, fine. He goes, and Colleen can stay with us, with me. I said, no, I'll arrange for Colleen to go to her dad and you can stay. And when I come back, we'll finish the divorce. So I spent a few hours delegating and meeting with my staff. And then, and they're sitting in my office around my desk. And now my head, starting to explode again and I'm sitting and I'm holding my head like that tight as if I'm preventing it from exploding and I feel a power at that point somebody's telling me um, leave everything stop thinking and go home that's what I felt that I was supposed to do and I turned around and I told my staff I have to go I'll contact you guys tomorrow. I probably won't leave tomorrow then. It's probably gonna be Sunday, but we'll meet tomorrow. I'll call you guys to come in the office. And then I leave. I drive away. I get to my parking lot. I sit there in the car. I'm finishing the sermon on the phone, on the radio. And then I come out and start walking towards my condominium. And out of nowhere, I hear a voice speaking to me. Now at the office, I didn't hear a voice. I just felt somebody saying, leave everything, stop thinking, go. But now I'm hearing a voice. Peggy, it was a clear voice 
just like I'm speaking to you now, the clear voice in my mind talking to me and immediately I recognize that voice to be the Holy Spirit. I don't know how I recognize that. I never related to the Holy Spirit. I'm Christian. I related to Jesus. I related to God the Father, but I never got the Holy Spirit. I, I never understood him. Um, I remember like in prayers, it would say, Holy Spirit, come down on us. I just felt it was a spirit that comes and goes and flies. I didn't get him, so I didn't connect with him. I didn't understand him, so I ignored him. Like, So I don't really know how I recognize it was him, but it was him. It was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And immediately he showed me a sign like this. Like it was, I was not to talk about what was happening now. Immediately. And I'm going, oh boy, like here, he's speaking to me, but I can't share anything he's saying. And I continue walking up the stairs. Sam opens the door and right away he goes, are, are you leaving tomorrow or the day after? And I say, Sam, I can't think. I'm not going to think today. I'll let you know tomorrow. He goes, okay, fine. Go change. I have prepared dinner. Colleen comes up running from her room to greet me. She says, hi, mommy. How was your day? I tell her I'm stressed. She gives me a hug. And she goes back to her room like a teenager. She was about 14 years old. I go change not understanding what's happening. All I know, I'm not to say anything, but here is this voice talking with me. I change, I walk out to the kitchen and the kitchen back then had an island with the sink and behind me was the refrigeration, the refrigerator. And I'm standing there and Sam had served me uh, dinner. And what he made, he made my favorite casserole, which was French bean casserole with filet mignon, or veal, like a really good, delicious dish, and rice. And that was my favorite kind of combination, that bean casserole. But I didn't feel like eating. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but I, I just had no appetite. So I looked at the plate and I told him I'm sorry. And I scraped off the green beans and meat off my plate and into the sink. And then I stood there for a few minutes looking at my plate and wondering, do I really want to eat that rice? Uh, I still don't have an appetite. And the Holy Spirit says, child, open the refrigerator and get the yogurt and put it on your rice. Now, usually I like to eat my rice with plain yogurt. It's an Egyptian thing. We put plain yogurt. That's how I love eating plain rice. But when he said that, it was like, what? Like, come again? You care about the yogurt on my rice? It was such a detail that I, I was just shocked. And his response was, child, I'm in every little detail of your life. 
And Peggy, when he said that, it was, I was so ashamed of myself. I was about 49 at that time. And I had missed out on this being that was in every little detail in my, of my life. And I'm just discovering it now. And the irony, I can't speak about it. I'm just, my mouth is shut. And it was like, just an incredible um, revelation, but like at a late stage. So I took my plane, I, I put the yogurt, I took my plane, my plate, went and sat on the corner of the couch and I was eating the rice and yogurt. And I remember the Holy Spirit was talking to me and I remember he was joking because I remember giggling, I was laughing. He had a great sense of humor. And I don't know, I can't remember the joke, but it was such a sweet joke. And I started laughing, giggling. And Sam turned around and looked at me and he was astonished. Like he thought, okay, did you drink something? He said, did you have a drink on the way to home? And I looked at him and I didn't even want to respond. I didn't want to break that connection, that conversation I had with the Holy Spirit. And then I felt it was time to just go to bed. I, I got up, put my plate. I said goodnight to him, went, went, brushed my teeth, not understanding what is going on. Why is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Took off my robe, felt, went into bed, and I'm lying there and just pondering and wondering what is going on? What is happening? This is weird. And then he says, child, it's not your brother, it's you. And Peggy, when he said that, my heart dropped. I was not ready to hear that. I don't think any one of us is ready to hear that when we go to bed. I went to bed assuming I'm gonna wake up in the morning. You know, we go to bed not thinking this is our last breath. I think we're gonna wake up and go on and we plan, but this was it. And all I can think of is now Colleen is gonna wake up in the morning and find her mother dead in bed. That, that just broke my heart. It was like, it weighed so heavy on my heart. It, it, it was just, no, it was. Um, so as my heart was heavy with that, he said, he reminded me of a, a dream that I had a couple of, a few years earlier. And in that dream, I dream, and I usually don't dream of Jesus. I was dreaming that my son, my daughter, and myself were at this beautiful meadow, and we were walking with Jesus through the meadow and laughing. But the way we were walking, what was strange about it is my son had his arm around his waist, like holding him from both sides. And Colleen had her arm around his waist and he had both of them. Like he had an arm on her, an arm on him. 
And I had my arm around his waist, but I don't know how. And I was walking and I remember when I woke up from the dream, I was puzzled. How the heck did the three of us walk holding him and we didn't trip on each other's feet? Like, how didn't we trip Jesus? We were just, but when he reminded me of that dream, I realized that I was with them, walking with them, but I was in spirit. I wasn't, that's why we didn't trip. I was there. But Jesus had my children. And when I remembered that he has them that close, and I was going to still be a part of it, my heart was comforted. I was okay. It was like, I, I'm okay. I can give my kid, children over to him. I knew that they'd be fine. I can go and they'll be fine. Jesus himself is wrapping his arms around my children. So I was able to breathe again. And I said, okay, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm okay. And he said, child, you're gonna go on a journey and you're gonna come back and be my ambassador. And as soon as he said, I'm gonna come back, it was like, oh my gosh, okay, I can do this. This is, I'm okay, okay, what, what do you really want me to do? And he's, and here I'm getting ready, like um, I'm, I'm doing this. And he goes, I want you to stop thinking. I'm going, mm, what? He said, I want you to stop thinking. Hold your mind still, stop thinking. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I tried to stop thinking, but it was not easy. I, I don't know if anybody knows how to stop thinking. Our brain just keeps on going. <laughs> the point, I kept thinking, did I stop? Am I still thinking? <laughs> it, was like, it was crazy. And, and he was like, stop thinking, child. And I'm going, okay, okay, I'll get there. I'll get <laughs> and, he's and he's so patient and he's trying, he's waiting on me. And then I finally was able to hold my brain still. And I said, okay. And he says, child, now I want you to shut your eyes. But no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. I said, okay. So I shut my eyes. And he kept saying, no, child, no matter what happens, do not open your eyes. And I said, okay, you know, it's an order. I can do that. And I shut my eyes. And suddenly, this bright light, uh, I can't describe, beyond any light I've ever seen, just took over the bedroom. I'll, and it was piercing through, like I could see and feel the light through my shut eyes. It was, I've never experienced anything like that. It was incredible, but I knew I would not dare open my eyes. It was like, I better keep them shut. But I felt a presence, a humongous presence. It was, I 
felt it was the presence of the father god the father it was i don't know who the hell am i to to experience this or to feel god the father i am nothing but this is how it felt it was a power and it was a bigger power and i kept the order my eyes remained shut and to the right was my window and immediately i heard and i could feel the windows rattle rattling shaking and it was like an earthquake as if an earthquake was just in my bedroom and the windows are shaking and i'm okay and i'm not daring to open my eyes and then my heart started palpitating so now my heart is beating and it started slowly like a palpitation but then it started beating harder and harder and it was like again i never experienced a heart beat like that and i got scared and as soon as i got scared from that beating everything shut down the light suddenly went away the window stopped shaking my heart didn't um beat anymore and the whole process shut down and i'm going shoot i just screwed up my death and he said no child don't worry this one you cannot screw up and it was like okay he goes we're just i just need you to relax more i just need you to relax more we need to have you stop thinking again and i said okay okay and it was like it took me a while to get my composure and he told me okay remember stop thinking and he, it took a few minutes to get back into that state of not thinking and then he said shut your eyes child and again i went through shutting my eyes and then he said again remember do not open your eyes and he kept emphasizing on that order do not open your eyes and i said okay and i did just that i shut my eyes and the light came again and i felt that same presence and then the windows started shaking again and i felt that earthquake in my bedroom and then my heart started beating again and started beating harder and harder but this time i was not scared i i knew the process i i wanted to go through with it and i had no fear and i kept hanging in there but it was beating as if it was going to burst out of my chest and i'm thinking this is how you get a heart attack so i'm just going to go through this and it was beating harder and harder and then it stopped the process stopped but i didn't shut it down it just took its course and i started thinking okay what's next he goes child the next part is an annoyance and here i am wondering what's an annoyance he goes child it's only 
an annoyance. Only an annoyance, John. And he kept emphasizing that. And I'm listening to him. And suddenly I feel this whoosh of pain comes out on my legs. Uh, a strong feeling of excruciating pain as if somebody is taking a sledgehammer and breaking my bones. That's how the pain was. But he kept saying, child, it's an annoyance, child, remember. And his voice was so calming and comforting. And I just concentrated on what he was saying that I, it, it was as if he was taking that edge of that excruciating pain and he kept saying, it's an annoyance, it will pass. Child, it's an annoyance and the pain is in, I feel it, but I'm not screaming from it. I'm tolerating it and I'm concentrating on him. And it was okay, it was okay. It was an annoyance, like he said. And then it stopped. I didn't feel that pain again. And I was relieved. It was like, oh, okay, it did pass. But then I didn't feel the pain, but I noticed I wasn't feeling anything else. I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel my arms. 